Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Well, today I have the privilege of having an interview with the winner of this year's Doctor of Ministry Distinguished Alumnus Award here at Beeson Divinity School. His name is Jason McConnell. Jason, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Now, we want to talk a little bit about your D-Men work in just a moment, but uh, just tell us who you are, where you came from, a little bit about your background and your ministry. Sure. So uh, I I pastor uh, two rural churches in northern Vermont. I've been there for, I'm in my 14th year, but I grew up in a little town, a little rust belt coal mining town in western Pennsylvania. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church at all. As a matter of fact, uh, my mother was a heroin addict, committed suicide when I was four years old. And I was raised by my grandparents, uh, who were good, uh, wholesome people, but not churchgoers. And so I never stepped foot inside of a church until I was 17 years old. My. I hadn't uh, been in a church for a wedding, a funeral, nothing. I didn't mm. know what the inside looked like. Did you believe in God? Did you heard uh, about God? Yes. I, I sort of had a basic belief in God. Uh, but I was angry with him for what happened to my mother. So I grew up with sort of a chip on my shoulder, uh, just a, a low-grade anger, saying if, if God really loved me, then why would he allow something like this to happen? That being said, I was an alcoholic through high school, uh, drunk almost every night wow. until uh, my junior year. I had uh, my best friend uh, was in a horrendous uh, accident drinking and driving, rolled his Jeep into a ravine, mm. and he walked out of that with just scratches. He should have been dead, but God spared his life, and he started going to church as a result of that. Mm. And I, I didn't argue with him that God spared his life because I saw the Jeep the next day. And to make a long story short, uh, he, he started going to church, heard the gospel, became a Christian, and started inviting me to come with him. I put him off as long as I could until finally, just to keep him quiet, I said, I'll go one time, and that'll be it. And I will say I was kind of curious about going. I've, I'd seen church on TV, and mm. but I'd never been, and I thought this will satisfy a curiosity. So I walked into this little country church, 40 or 50 people, and I wanted to get out as, as soon as I could. I wasn't sure if I was dressed right or anything. Uh, But I saw for the first time in my life genuine love. Mm. I saw the people in this church community Mm. love Mm. each other. Mm. And the pastor was a a great pastor, Mm. preached the simple gospel straight from the Bible. Mm. He was talking something about sin, and I elbowed my buddy and said, you told him I was coming today. (laughs) You set me up. Uh, Little did I know that uh, most people felt that way (laughs) as they were sitting there. And uh, so I heard the gospel, and it was so impressive to me that I went back to church the next week and the next. I went six uh, six months, drunk every Saturday night, but I never missed church on Sunday morning until the gospel finally sunk in. Now, what kind of church was this? This was a Wesleyan church. A Wesleyan church. Uh, and the people yeah. loved me and cared for me. And uh, Anyway, after six months, I became convinced that the gospel was true, and I—, I Made a profession of faith, a very dramatic conversion experience one night. I was actually out drinking, and uh, the Holy Spirit came calling, and I made a profession of faith that night. Woke up in the morning, felt 100% different. 
went to church, couldn't wait till it was over because I wanted to tell my pastor and my friend what had happened. They started laughing as soon as I told them. And I said, why are you laughing? This isn't funny. And they said, well, we just knew that this was going to happen to you. And I said, how did you know? And they said, well, everyone in this church has been praying for you mm. since the first Sunday you walked wow. in here. And so I was converted and discipled in that little country church in western Pennsylvania. And anyway, soon after that, I experienced another dramatic call to ministry where they asked me if I would like to preach. And I said, no, who, who, who would like to do that? Uh, but they talked me into it, and I preached my very first sermon. And when I did, I gave an altar call. And there must have been 40 or 50 teenagers that came down the aisle, tears in their eyes, mm. and gave their hearts to Christ that night. And in that moment, I, again, another dramatic spirit moment where I, I heard the voice of God saying, this is what you're going to do the rest of your life. Wow, what a story. I mean, you're a real trophy of grace, aren't you? Well, yeah, I guess that's a good God way. has redeemed you and changed your life. And there's so many things uh, I want to talk to you about. I don't know if we'll have enough time, but let me start. I mean, you became a Christian, as you've just told us, through the witness uh, and the ministry of a little small country church. That's exactly and that's where you have felt led to lead your life and ministry yes. up in upper Vermont. So um, tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a small church pastor in upper Vermont within spitting distance of Canada. Now, you Canadian listeners, I didn't mean that in any bad way, but he lives right up close to you. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. And so I'll go a little back to my call to Vermont, which, again, was another Holy Spirit moment. My wife and I, uh, after we finished college at Moody Bible Institute, we got married a week after. And we were trying to decide where to go on a honeymoon. We had hoped to go to England, but our best friends uh, decided to get married two weeks after us in Maine. So that nixed our England plans. And so we compromised and went to Vermont for our honeymoon. On one of the, the Sunday that we were there, we walked into this little village, one, one church there, and we went inside. And there may, may be 25 people there. And we listened to a woman preach that day for 45 minutes. She was a Harvard Divinity grad. Now, wait a minute. I, I went know, there, I too. <laughs> <laughs> well, she talked an awful lot about politics, read a few poems, but never opened the Bible a single time. And we walked out of there so disheartened and come to learn that that's what the majority of churches in Vermont are like. Mm -hmm. And so God, even at that time, laid a burden on our hearts for that state. Mm -hmm. And I was still planning on heading to Gordon-Conwell to do an MDiv, which, which we did. And but we used to go to Vermont on weekends, or we'd go skiing once in a while, and, and spend some time there. And uh, right at the end of my MDiv experience, an opportunity came to go to Vermont, and we went. And so it's been a good ministry. I've been there almost 14 years, and we've seen fruit in that ministry. It's a highly secularized environment, very mm -hmm. independent, mm -hmm. uh, very different than um, being here in the South, but. I find that every place yeah. has its own challenges. And sure. If you're a Christian in Vermont, you're a real Christian. <laughs> you stand out. Probably. You stand out. You yeah. do You do indeed. Yeah. Now, you're the pastor of Franklin United Church. One, one of the things I find interesting about your pilgrimage mm -hmm. is that you have been involved with and participated in worship and been members of several different denominational sure. uh, churches. So say a little bit about your present church, the Franklin United yeah. Church, and maybe some of the pilgrimage from sure. Moody Bible Institute to where you are 
are now. Sure. The Franklin United Church, indeed even in the title United, uh, connotates that we actually have dual affiliation in the Four Seas Conservative Congregational Christian Conference and also the United Methodist Church. We're the only only church in the country that holds that dual affiliation, which is interesting. We really function more like a congregational church than we do a Methodist church, but we have dual affiliation and Mm -hmm. we have interaction with with both denominations, and I'm happy to be a part of both of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think because I didn't grow up in the church, I never felt a particular affection or commitment to any single denomination. And uh, after being converted in that Wesleyan church, I have a great deal of affection for the Wesleyan church. Mm -hmm. When I was in college, I wound up being a a member and served on the session of a PCUSA church. Mm -hmm. And that was a great experience. I very much enjoyed that. But again, I still didn't feel quite right. I'm I'm really a Baptist at heart. So a (laughs) Presbyterian wasn't going to quite fit that aspect of my theology. And then it was when I was going to Gordon-Conwell, I was looking for a part-time ministry position. And when I ran across the four C's, which is really the only um, consistently biblically-based wing of congregationalism left, so really out of the Jonathan Edwards mold. Mm-hmm. And I felt that that was a good fit for me because uh, I was able to – it's evangelical in, in its outlook, but yet still gives a lot of flexibility on some of the non-essentials of the faith, and I felt like that was – and it's been a good home for me. I, I very right. much enjoyed that uh, – yeah. Now, one of the things you've done in your ministry uh, is to work not only in your church but also with other rural churches. You have a, a burden, a passion really for that. Say a little bit about rural church ministry in our culture today and what's your approach to it? Well, because I was converted in a little rural church and I, actually the pastor who was at that church gave up and he, he had a full ride to Oxford to do a PhD and he turned it down to stay at this little rural church at the time, I didn't realize how big of a deal that was. Today, I know that's uh, really quite a big deal. So anyway, I always felt called to, to come back to a rural church, experience larger churches in Chicago and other places, but I just felt like I wanted to give back to the same type of community that invested so much in me. And unfortunately, what I've observed across our country is that often rural ministry seems to be marginalized, that mm-hmm. that's not where the conference speakers come from, those aren't the pastors who are writing the books. And unfortunately, they're often the churches that don't get the highly educated pastors or the most trained. And they often are stepping stones for young pastors out of seminary. They get five years of experience and then they move on to something quote-unquote, bigger or better, which isn't always the case. Mm. And so I've sort of balked at that mentality a little bit and said, gosh, don't rural folk deserve uh, just as much as uh, someone uh, in a metropolitan area? And so probably because of my bad attitude toward (laughs) toward the system, I just wanted to go to a, a rural church and get the very best education that I could, theological education, and give my life to that place to say you're worth it. Mm-hmm. And so that's been my uh, passion. And then to, to be a part of other pastors doing that same thing. And so I've, I've had some opportunities to uh, work with other pastors in rural contexts. And often they do feel alone and marginalized. And to say, look, you have a place in God's kingdom just like everyone else does. And to, mm-hmm. to try to highlight that and put a little bit of a emphasis and spotlight on it. 
One of the things your church has recently received is a Lilly grant, part of the Lilly Endowment Program, uh, related to rural small church ministry. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I, I, uh, again, I've been at my church for 14 years, and the term sabbatical is typically not on the vocabulary of uh, most small rural churches. And in in my church in particular, which is 200 years old, uh, no pastor has ever taken a sabbatical. And so after being there 14 years, I could use a little bit of a break. And the the Lilly Endowment provides wonderful opportunities with their clergy renewal uh, Mm -hmm. program. And so I convinced my board to uh, let me apply for it, and lo and behold, I got it. And so this summer, I'll actually be gone for four months uh, on sabbatical leave. And this year, as as you well know, the 500th year uh, anniversary of the Reformation, uh, my family and I were going to be traveling to Prague, Czech Republic, and through Germany and England, uh, visiting a lot of key uh, Reformation sites, and learning as much as we can. The the theme of my sabbatical is actually called ecumenical explorations, Mm -hmm. and we want to be learning from all the different theological backgrounds and sociological backgrounds as well, and to see what we can learn and bring back to our own church. Your dissertation, your DMIN dissertation, focused on rural church ministry, and in particular, what are the biblical foundations for it? How can are some of the theological issues? Uh, without telling us your whole dissertation here in a few minutes, can you summarize some of that, what you were finding? Absolutely. I think if you look at the canon of Scripture in the Old Testament and New Testament, you see that God has a heart for rural people in rural places all the way through. I and mean, certainly we see that in the book of Ruth uh, and Amos in the Old Testament and Jesus' own rural beginnings in Bethlehem and Nazareth. Through the book of Acts, we see uh, God calling uh, Philip uh, out of a city in Samaria to a a little rural road hmm. uh, down in Gaza to evangelize one eunuch. Hmm. And I said, boy, that bucks up against our system of ministry promotions today. Uh, uh, Philip got a ministry demotion and went <laughs> to a smaller place. So I just see some of those themes where just God values this. And so I like to, to tell those stories. And, and then into some historical foundations, there's a lot of folks in church history that we don't realize were in rural places and, and had a dramatic impact. People like St. Jerome and mm-hmm. uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa, of course, which yes. we wouldn't even know Nyssa if it wasn't for Gregory. Yeah. But it was just a little tiny town on the Hallis River. Uh, also, uh, people like George Herbert, yeah. who's one of my historical heroes, his, yeah. his the three years in the little village of Bemerton, all of his friends thought he was wasting his life by going there. Yes. But he had a vision for it. And uh, he has a book called Country The Country, the country, the country Parson. The Country Parson, which yeah. has been influential for 400 years now. Yeah. And uh, even up into Carl, Carl Bart spent 10 years mm-hmm. in, a, in a rural parish. And so I've just tried to highlight some of these stories to be an inspiration to rural pastors to say, hey, look, uh, just because you're in a small place doesn't mean that you can't have a dramatic impact. And then we certainly talk a lot about the practical implications, a lot of rural sociology uh, coupled with best ministry practices. And so unfortunately, a lot of uh, rural churches uh, we are, are not seeing best ministry practices yeah. put into place. So I try to help those things. Now, let me ask you to put on your hat. You didn't volunteer for this, but I'm recruiting you <laughs> to be a consultant to me and to Beeson Divinity School here for a minute. Sure. Uh, you're in charge of the curriculum mm-hmm. of this school. Uh, you're thinking about how can we best prepare our students, some of whom, not all of whom, but some of whom certainly sure. will be involved in rural church ministry? What ought we to do? What courses should we develop? Sure. What approach can we do that will help them sure. make this kind of 
impact? I actually really appreciate you asking that question. This is one of my overall gripes with theological education. Here's your chance. Across the board (laughs) is that many theological institutions have whole programs dedicated to urban ministry, yet very few have even a course dedicated to rural ministry. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see that change a little bit to have at least one course offering Mm -hmm. on rural ministry and Uh, And if not that, there are some other organizations that can be partnered with for this type of thing. For instance, I work with a group called Rural Home Missionary Association in Illinois, and they're partnered with a number of seminaries across the country and have students go there for specialized ministry courses that are MDiv level. And so I actually teach a couple of those courses on a rotating basis. And so there is some opportunities there that uh, I'd just like to see maybe some more exposure Uh, Maybe in chapel, uh, someone from a rural church once in a while Mm -hmm. would go a long way, I think, for helping students to say, look, maybe there's a future here for me in this. You know, a year or two or three ago now, the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference had all the big-name marquee pastors, just as you were describing, the big megachurch pastors with all the publicity. We need to hear from smaller churches. I don't know in their case it was entirely rural church, but smaller church pastors. They have something to say to us. They're a part of us. That's right. And so there's this whole emphasis that I think has been very healthy for that denomination. Absolutely. And and there are a handful of other denominations. The United Methodist Church puts uh, some good emphasis on small church, rural church ministry. But by and large, evangelical churches, it's been an overlooked area, I would say. And so it's the larger ones that get all the publicity and limelight. I imagine one of the issues or difficulties, uh, realities of being a rural church, small church pastor is a sense of isolation, Mm. being alone, uh, not having a lot of uh, fellowship with other pastors. Uh, Could you speak to that sense if you think that might be accurate and what can be done about that? What what, what would you advise? Yeah, I meet rural, small church pastors all over the place that that do feel like that. And and sometimes that's... uh, their own fault because there are opportunities that they simply haven't taken advantage of. But I think oftentimes, uh, particularly if you're in a denomination, you may not have a lot of other churches in your denomination Mm -hmm. locally that you can meet with. I actually encourage uh, ecumenical dialogue. Uh, I'm in a group of pastors in, in, in my area in Vermont where the closest congregational church to me is well over an hour away. Mm. And so I meet regularly every other week with a group of pastors, and we have Pentecostal and Anglican and uh, Baptist and uh, Methodist, and, and we, we meet together for fellowship. And it's a way of getting at that isolation, mm-hmm. and, and we're in similar types of churches and similar communities uh, even though different uh, denominational theological backgrounds. So your focus on the gospel and your focus on ministry draws you together, even though there are some That's exactly right. Yeah, and then I think to also tap into some of the resources that are available for rural ministry. And again, these aren't the hottest-selling books on the market for ministry. It's uh, mm-hmm. usually the ones that are written by larger church pastors that are most interesting. But there are some resources out there that uh, if people would – Uh, take the time to pick those up, and they could learn a lot. I I know, for instance, Glenn Damon wrote a book called Shepherding the Small Church that's probably been more beneficial to my ministry than any other book I've read. Shepherding the Small Church. Shepherding the Small Church. Fantastic. Theologically grounded and very, very practical. Wonderful. 
Now, we're almost out of time, but I, I don't want to let us uh, as, as get through this podcast without talking about your family. Sure. Now, you already mentioned your wife. Her name is Jennifer. Right. You all have four children. Tell us their names and what's it like to be the pastor of a church with the pastor's family, four small children in northern Vermont. Sure. Oh, it's great. Um, so we have Sarah, who's 11, Marcus, who's 10, Duncan, who's 6, and Matthias, who's 4. And so that, that keeps us awfully busy. And I'll just say this, that uh, being a part of a small church with a family is a wonderful experience. My kids, and myself included, feel like we've been adopted into, into every other family in the church. <laughs> every Christmas, every holiday, every birthday, our kids get things from people yeah. that they wouldn't get otherwise. And just this past Christmas, I remember my 11-year-old daughter saying, Dad, I sure am glad that I'm a pastor's kid, <laughs> as we're carrying a whole box of gifts back to back That's to the house. That's a wonderful <laughs> testimony. So anyway, I, they really value those relationships, yeah. and uh, it's one of the benefits of being in a small church, in a small community, is you know everybody intimately. Now, one of the things on your on your uh, CV is that the things you enjoy doing as a family, you enjoy hiking, <laughs> biking, uh, doing a lot of the things we enjoy doing here in Alabama and the South. But you also put on there snowshoeing. Oh, snowshoeing. What is snowshoeing? Everyone needs to experience snowshoeing at least once. Well, this is winter hiking where you uh, – You've seen seen uh, maybe old pictures where people slap on things that look like tennis rackets to their feet, and then you can walk across snow however deep it is. Today, today they make ones that look a little different than the old ones, but it's the same function. And so you can uh, put snowshoes on and go hiking in the winter uh, in 10 feet of snow and only sink in 6 inches and walk wherever you want to go. And we spend a lot of time in Vermont where winter is so long, if you don't get out and enjoy it, you'll go stir crazy. (laughs) And so we look for every opportunity we can get outside and do recreation. And snowshoeing is kind of a unique one. It's good exercise. You'll work hard. Uh, You won't need to dress very heavy because you'll sweat a lot. But it's a lot of fun. You can see some really amazing things uh, on on mountains when you're snowshoeing that you'd never see otherwise. Great. I want to give a shout out to Jennifer, Sarah, Marcus, Duncan, and Matthias. <laughs> Hello, and thanks for sharing your dad with us here at Beeson for a couple of days. Well, my guest today on the Beeson podcast has been the Reverend Dr. Jason McConnell. He's here to receive the Doctor of Ministry Distinguished Alumnus of the Year Award. He's a wonderful pastor of a church in the upper part of Vermont within spitting distance of Canada the Franklin United Church, doing great work there and wonderful work with rural church ministries all across the country. God bless you, Jason. Thank you for sharing this time with us. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast. <laughs>